It's time for Cadillac On Call on News Radio 610 KONA. It's your chance to learn valuable health information right here in our community. Now, the host of Cadillac On Call, here's Jim Hall. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Cadillac On Call. My name is Jim Hall, and each Wednesday evening, we are here to, uh, to bring you the latest health and medical information available here in the Tri-Cities, our program presented by the Cadillac Foundation. And tonight, we'll continue our updates on co- the coronavirus, COVID-19, and everything associated with it. And while we are certainly going to discuss the prevalence of COVID-19 in our community, as we have done for much of the past year, we're also going to spend a fair amount of time talking about the availability of the vaccine that certainly is in short supply, but much much anticipated by people all over our region. So to do that, we're happy to join be joined this evening by Heather Hill, the Communicable Disease Program Manager with the Benton Franklin Health District. And I know, Heather, so much has been made of the availability and how quickly the vaccines came to uh, the arms of people around our country. But obviously, I know one of the challenges is it's not in as readily supply as we'd all like it to be. And so I guess, why don't you just begin by what is the current availability? It's still very limited, right? And I know it's certain age group criteria and health status criteria that are the key metrics right now. Sure, there. it is a little bit frustrating, I'm sure, for people in the community who are really anticipating getting access to the vaccine. But what is, I think, important to understand that vaccine is being developed as quickly as possible, keeping in mind we're really focused on the safety and the efficacy of the vaccine. Now that that's been established, they're really the... Um, the the vaccine manufacturers are really focused on how can we get this vaccine out as quick as possible and and made as quick as possible to get it into the arms of people. And you just can't speed it up to the point everybody could get a vaccine today that wanted it. We keep saying that vaccine for COVID isn't a sprint. It's, It's a marathon and the name of the game, unfortunately, is patience right now. We as a nation and a community need to be a little bit patient. We know more vaccine is going to be released soon. We will be seeing more vaccine come to our community. But right now, we are still in the phase A1, A2, and B1. I guess they're actually tiers. And the reason we need to serve that population first is it's been determined that this group, either the healthcare workers who are, are the frontline workers face-to-face doing those procedures in our care facilities that put them at extremely high risk for catching COVID, as well as our frontline EMS workers who, again, potentially get exposed to COVID on a daily basis. We need to make sure that we're protecting those workers. We want them to stay healthy. We don't want them to catch COVID because that's not only devastating for them, but then we lose people out of the workforce. And then we were luckily able to open up to that B1 tier, which uh, in Washington state now is actually all people over the age of 65 and older and all people 50 years and older in multi-generational households. What we're looking at really there is are you a, a grandparent who is, is really the primary caregiver? You're taking care of that grandchildren. You're in a multi-generational household. 
we're also looking at are you a um, young person who is taking care of a, a family member who without your care would end up in a nursing home or a care facility? That's kind of the population that we're looking at beyond those 65 and older. And once it was opened up to those populations, we know that our vaccine providers in the community were pretty inundated with calls and visits from patients showing up saying, I heard there's vaccine, I, I'm ready to be vaccinated. So we're very happy that people want the vaccine, are interested, and really do trust that the, um, the FDA and the CDC did due diligence in assuring that, that they are approving a safe vaccine for our people. But unfortunately, it isn't available as readily as we would like in the community. And so we're asking that people really watch the website of their care provider or the hospital or healthcare system that you typically get your healthcare from. And, and read what their plan is. <clears throat> On our health department website, we are going to continue to keep updating it as our providers in the community give us the information regarding how they're going to serve their patient population, when they're going to be able to start doing it, and, and how to set up an appointment with their health care system. That type of information, as it comes to us, we will be putting it on our website so that maybe people can have a one-stop shop. Let's look at the Benton Franklin Health District website, see what our provider is doing. So we really need the providers to, to work together with us to help inform our community. I know the organization where I work, which is Cadillac, and not only the hospital but the medical group, practices in and around the Tri-Cities that you referenced, the provider groups. I know there's been a ton of work being done to uh, be able to provide the vaccine as it becomes available to share with the patients within the Cadillac system in the larger community where possible. But again, it's that limited supply that we're dealing with that, you know, it's great we could run a clinic, but it's not to be able to be where, like the testing, where you could do testing eight to five each day uh, with unlimited supply of vaccine. Right, and, and this vaccine, both the Moderna and the Pfizer, as I've mentioned before, are a little more complicated in the storage, the handling, the thawing, the reconstitution, and so it's very different than running your typical flu clinic that we're all used to. Just walk into your doctor's office, your pharmacy, get your flu shot, you're done, you get to leave. This one's a little bit more complicated and time-consuming. So our, our planning processes that go into creating a clinic are much more time-consuming and a little different than the typical flu clinic that we plan. But, you know, the good news is as we talk to our partners around the community, I think we're very, very close to some, some exciting opportunities coming up. As was mentioned, um, well, on, on over the holiday weekend, the governor has made it possible for our community to have a, a mass clinic that will be supported by Washington State Department of Health and our National Guard. And that, uh, that opportunity arrived suddenly to our doorstep, and so we are doing a tremendous amount of detailed planning on just how to roll this out to our community just as soon as possible. 
and we know that there are other entities around town who are also planning in the very, very near future some, some types of events because our goal really is to get as many people vaccinated as possible, but we are limited by how many vaccine doses actually arrive into our community. So where we are, I know one of the things that the governor had mentioned earlier this week was that the Benton County Fairgrounds is a site that is being put together that uh, I'm guessing the reference you just made of trying to do a larger community wide, but that would, would that be also only by appointment, not drive through is, or I mean, it might be drive through, but it might, it would have to be by appointment. Is that the thought or have you gotten to that point yet? We really haven't gotten to that level of detail yet. We're still in the planning. We've done a lot of general planning. We, we have traffic flows figured out and, figured out this is what we've had in our plan for many, many years. Well, now we're being faced with the opportunity of you really get to do it in your community now, so it's time to come up with all of those uh, details that hopefully in the next few days we will have those in place, and then we'll be able to let the community know exactly when these types of events will happen, where they'll happen, and, and how to sign up for them what is needed to actually get into that clinic and get your vaccine. Visiting with Heather Hill with the Benton Franklin Health District and a couple of uh, tips on keeping abreast of how things are transpiring as, as far as the availability of vaccine. Certainly go to Cadillac.org for Cadillac's latest information, Cadillac's social media channels, Facebook. Uh, just, just keep checking those to find out when when information is available. It will certainly be shared. All Obviously, the local news media. Uh, including 610KONA and other area media resources and their social media channels. And then, as Heather mentioned, the Benton Franklin Health District's website at bfhd.wa.gov. We have more questions on this topic to, to discuss with Heather, and we'll do that right after this. You're listening to Cadillac On Call on 610KONA. This program is not a substitute for direct consultation with your own health care provider. Always consult your health care provider for your specific condition, especially if you have or suspect you may have a medical problem. Now back to Cadillac On Call. Here again, Jim Hall. Welcome back to our program. I hope you have a pen or pencil nearby because I have another website that you can also include uh, your information if you'd like to learn more about vaccine availability across the state of Washington. It's findyourphasewa.org. Findyourphasewa.org. That is a State Department of Health connected website, but it has a list of all of the different uh, locations around the state where the COVID-19 vaccine is and will be available over the coming days, weeks, and months. Visiting with Heather Hill with the Benton Franklin Health District. And I know, Heather, I want to spend a little bit more time uh, providing some clarity and clarity as best we can for our listeners out there uh, here in the Tri-Cities area. But first of all, maybe why don't we, I know there's some news regarding uh, one of the test sites here in town. Give us the update on what's happening with that. Sure, I'd be glad to. Um, we, the, the test site in Kennewick that was opened up on Ely Street did close today. That was our National Guard test site. And since the National Guard is being deployed to the vaccine efforts, they were pulled out of our community for testing. However, we know that the National Guard will be involved in this mass vaccine testing 
um, plan that is coming together. So we don't feel that this is going to negatively affect testing um, possibilities in our community because we still have the CBC West test site at the old New Horizons High School in Pasco. And they have the capacity to do right up to about a thousand tests a day. They've done as, as many as almost a thousand a day, and lately they've been running between four and six hundred. So to add on the number of tests that were being run through the National Guard onto the CBC site, they feel that they'll be able to handle that capacity just fine. Now, while a lot of our focus is now shifted to the vaccine and its availability, uh, can you also reiterate the importance of people wanting, needing, uh, should be going to get tested if they feel they need to? Sure. A lot of times people think, well, I'm not sick. Why should I go get tested? We know that there is a high percent of asymptomatic positives with COVID. You feel just fine. You get tested, find out you actually tested positive. And that's why it's so important to get tested is if you've been notified through a contact tracer or a friend that you've been exposed to COVID, you need to go get tested. If you're feeling like maybe my symptoms are just allergies, we hear that a lot in the mid-Columbia. Well, I thought it was just my allergies kicking in and turned out that it was actually COVID. And we know that if people get tested and find out they're positive, and then we do contact tracing, we can stop the spread a lot quicker. We also need to increase our number of people doing tests, even, even the well people doing tests, because right now our CDC test site is running about a 20% positive rate, and the, the new metrics for Road to Recovery say we really need to get that down to below 10%. So even if you think you feel fine, you don't think you have COVID, but there's a possibility you've been exposed, please get tested. It's, it's really important for us decreasing the spread in our community. So it's a case of not only limiting the spread of the virus in the Tri-Cities area in Benton and Franklin counties, but it also contributes to, as you say, meeting these metrics for being able to more readily open up our economy. Right. That's absolutely right. Where are we? I, usually, you know, this is the first topic we address when we're uh, talking about COVID-19 on this program. Where are we with the latest uh, case counts? We're probably in that time period. I know you were talking about uh, leading up to Christmas and after the New Year's holiday that we should probably be seeing uh, the numbers peak. Hopefully, has that been the case where maybe we're seeing them start to come down a little bit? Um, we're still seeing the numbers actually pretty high, but they are plateauing down a little bit. Um, we're just about through that post-holiday time now where we would have potentially seen a significant spike. We didn't see a, a huge spike, but I think our concern is our total numbers have kind of plateaued at this very high rate. So we know there is still a lot of COVID circulating within our community at this time. And maybe if you will, again, I guess these are the, the key public safety measures that we have been trying to reinforce and drive home for months now, but especially with the promise of the vaccine on the horizon and here uh, slowly in, in some cases, 
Uh, it's still uh, no reason to forego these public health measures that we've all been adhering to for so long. Right. We Even with vaccine right here in our community and starting to be used, we still have to use every one of our tools at the same time. That includes covering your nose and your mouth with a mask, social distancing, hand hygiene, either washing your hands or using those hand sanitizers. And then when it's your turn, get vaccinated. Because we know we still, unfortunately, have many, many more months of COVID to face. But if we all continue to do these efforts, we'll see the end of COVID much quicker. And as you mentioned, the, the reason for the patients is, is due to the limited supply of vaccine, even to get a large percentage of the, percentage of the population vaccinated, it's going to take several days of doing, I mean, a thousand a day is a lot of vaccinations to give. And our population is, what, 300,000 for the two counties. Right. It's a thousand or 2,000 vaccines a day sounds like a lot of vaccines, and it is. And it takes a lot of people working on a clinic to get that much vaccine into arms. But you multiply that by the fact we have a population of 300,000. That means this isn't a one-week clinic. It isn't a two-week clinic. This is a many, many, many-week clinic. And we're not only serving Benton and Franklin counties, but the governor has asked that we serve our surrounding counties that aren't going to have access to a mass clinic like this. So we know that once we set up a clinic like this, it is going to be there for a very long time in order for us to adequately vaccinate our population to get us to that herd immunity, which is about 80% of our population vaccinated to, to get to herd immunity. We have just about a minute left, and I'd, I'd like you, if you would, just reiterate what the message is for people wanting to get that vaccine and what should they be doing and, and what, what advice can you give them as we sit here in mid-January? It's so hard to say be patient because we've been patient. This is a year now that we have been um, dealing with COVID in Washington State. And, and once again, we're asking people to be patient just a little longer, um, but to continue to do all those things that we've asked them to do because it's for the good of our community and it will mean our schools and our businesses can open up sooner. But as you're seeking vaccine or going to your provider office, remember our providers not only have been struggling with taking care of COVID patients and all there is to do with that aspect of COVID, but now they're being um, inundated with concerned patients. Where do I get vaccine? So just be patient, be kind, be understanding to your providers who are working so hard to get this vaccine moved out into our community. And many times the amount of vaccine is absolutely out of their control. They get what the state allows them to have and they're doing the absolute best they can with what they've been given. So practice patience with your providers. Heather Hill with the Benton Franklin Health District. Again, thank you so much for joining us tonight and sharing your wisdom and your perspective. Again, those websites that we'd like to pass along, findyourphasewa.org. That's findyourphasewa.org. 
Catholic.org. There's Catholic.org and the various social media channels of Catholic as well, uh, bfhd.wa.gov. And please stay connected with your local media resources as well to find out where this vaccine is available for you and your loved ones. Back with more of Catholic on Call in a moment. You're listening to Cadillac on Call on 610-KONA. This program provides general information only. Any comments or information presented are strictly for educational purposes. Cadillac and 610-KONA do not endorse any of the suggestions made by the presenter or callers. Now back to Cadillac on Call. Once again, Jim Hall. Reminder, if you missed any part of our program, Catholic on Call is available on your favorite podcast platform. Just search Catholic on Call when you visit Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Back to our Catholic on Call program, and happy to welcome to the program and wish a happy new year to Dr. Brian York, who is an infectious disease specialist at Catholic, and throughout 2020 was one of our go-tos for expertise uh, as we navigate our way through the COVID-19 pandemic. And First of all, Dr. York, I guess I'd like to spend most of our time, if you would, uh, on an area that you're quite knowledgeable about, and that's where we are with vaccines, which is it's probably nice to be able to talk about positive rela- developments related to COVID-19. Yes, that's, it is good to move on to a topic where we've, we've really seen some success. You know, we've talked several times last year about different uh, treatments uh, and other interventions in the hospital, some of which have had a significant impact like uh, steroid treatment and others that have had somewhat mixed results, including the remdesivir and the plasma, where you know, we, we certainly saw some improvement, but not as much of a benefit as we would hope uh, for a lot of patients. And the vaccines have really um, significantly outperformed what was hoped for as a best case scenario. And when, when about nine months ago, we were talking about how great it would be if we could have some vaccines that would have 70 to 80 percent effectiveness and Uh, No one expected to see 95% efficacy for preventing COVID. And so they're they're both, both of the ones that we have available now uh, look great. And then there's a third vaccine coming along soon uh, that will give another option as well. If you would, maybe as as simply as you can for us uh, non-clinical-minded folks, explain how these vaccines work and why they are so successful. Well, um, and you're asking specifically about these mRNA vaccines? I would guess we have, what, the Pfizer vaccine and the Moderna vaccine are the two that are out right. currently, right? Yeah, correct. And, and these vaccines are made differently than any vaccine we've ever had before. Um, work had been done by Moderna to try to develop a vaccine for SARS several years ago, but then the, the SARS epidemic fizzled out so quickly that they really never had a chance to put it into practice, but they were... They had done some groundwork and were ready to go, and then and Pfizer had also been working on this technology. So the real difference with these vaccines is that instead of having to somehow uh, take a virus and make it, uh, make it unable to produce illness so that you can inject people with a what you'd call a dumbed-down version of the virus or an attenuated virus um, to produce an immune response, um, that takes a lot of work to, and it's very difficult to produce the product. Uh, another strategy is producing proteins uh, that are the same as proteins that are on the virus. So with coronavirus, I think people have heard of the spike protein, which is really critical in our immune response. You know, so you can make the protein, but that's also very difficult. It's hard to manufacture proteins. Um, and that's how most vaccines are, are made prior to these mRNA vaccines. You would either have to make the protein or you would have to take 
and, and develop a form of the virus that wasn't able to make people sick. What the mRNA does is it actually, the mRNA goes into your cells and it has your cells produce the protein. Uh, messenger RNA is a, is a nucleic acid that our cells use all the time uh, to make our own proteins from our genes. And so all the machinery is there in our cells to make the protein. So you send in this messenger RNA and your cells start making this protein and then your immune system fights or recognizes and produces a response to that protein. And that's what helps it to fight the virus more effectively if you are later exposed to the virus. And so because it's very easy to manufacture nucleic acid sequences, uh, you can very quickly figure out the sequence and very quickly develop uh, processes in a lab to make them. They were able to manufacture these and get the studies going much more quickly than they ever could have done by trying to alter a virus or uh, produce the protein itself. Uh, the downside is that these nucleic acid molecules are very delicate. They, they're metabolized very quickly in the body. They don't stick around for long. Uh, they don't last um, on, on surfaces or in a solution. So you have to do some special things to keep them preserved until you use them. And I think most people have heard that both of these viruses have some unique um, challenges for logistics. Uh, the Pfizer product in particular has to be kept very, very cold. Uh, and then the Moderna product doesn't have to be kept as cold, but there's still an issue with once you start using product from a vial, you have to use it up within within that same day or you have to waste whatever you've not used out of that vial. So we're working on rolling out uh, logistics to make sure that when we're able to start offering this to the general public, we're doing it in a way that isn't wasteful so that we take full advantage of every dose we have available to us, but also uh, protect people's privacy and are able to get people through uh, these these vaccination clinics as quickly and efficiently as possible. So a lot of work that's going to there's a lot of logistics, as you say, once once there's enough supply in the in the pipeline to to get in the arms of people. Right. Yeah. So the, the Pfizer vaccine is what we've been giving uh, so far to our employees at the hospital. Um, and I think healthcare workers are used to being going and getting our shots together. We do it all the time. Every year there's annual flu shot drives, and we're used to just walking into a room and rolling up our sleeves and getting shots. And uh, so that's made it uh, pretty efficient. But when we're offering the vaccine to patients, obviously we have to make more effort to allow for patient privacy, and um, it has to be a little bit more of a, a private procedure. Um, the Moderna product uh, can be kept in more locations, so the hope is that we will not be having to do all of this in one centralized location, but that we can have a number of locations that are set up to administer these vaccines. And there, we don't yet know when we will be able to start offering the vaccine to patients, but we do know it's coming soon, and we're trying to make sure that we are ready so that as soon as we get that green light, we are ready to go and can stand it up very quickly and uh, get patients in. And, and I know, and Heather touched on it in the first half of the program, is the fact that they're, both of these vaccines initially, they're, they require two vaccinations. So that adds to that logistical issue. Yes. Um, the vaccine we're giving to our employees uh, is, the again, the Pfizer product. Two doses, three weeks apart. You have a window of time of about four days. So somewhere between 17 and 21 days after the first dose is when you should give the second dose. So we have to make sure we can accommodate people coming back during that time frame so that the schedule allows for it and that we have product enough uh, to, to give everyone in the proper time frame. And, and that's been working well. Um, 
I believe the Moderna product is also two shots four weeks apart. So similar, but a little bit different. And, and the other trick is that you have to make sure that people get a series of the same product. You can't start with one and then a few weeks later give the other vaccine. <laughs> right. So whatever you get for dose one has to be the same thing for dose two. So we've got to make sure that all of that is being tracked in a way that it works correctly for every patient every time. If you don't mind me, I trust you've gotten your vaccine? Yes. Yep. I got my first dose. Well, it was two weeks ago Monday, and I'm due for my second one. I can get it either this Friday or next Monday to, to finish the series. If you wouldn't mind, share with our listeners, what, what, were you, what was going through your mind? It was, I, I've seen lots of different reactions from the healthcare workers across the country and certainly colleagues at Cadillac that some have gotten, you know, it, it, it's really touched them that, man, to realize the magnitude of what this means. Well, right. There were very mixed feelings. I think uh, for most of us, it was exciting to be able to receive the vaccine. Um, in some ways, we're almost like guinea pigs uh, because in the clinical trials, there were no incidences of these severe anaphylactic reactions. It's, it's interesting. Out of the thousands of patients who received the vaccine in the, in the study, it never happened. And then as soon as it started being used widespread in the U.K., we quickly heard about two times where that happened, and it happened in Alaska shortly after it was available in the U.S., and we've continued to hear reports of this happening. And so there was a little bit of nervousness there, um, but you know, our local experience so far has been good. We've given about 1,800 doses to our employees, and I think there have been four patients or four employees who had um, felt unwell in some way and went down to the ER to be observed for a brief period of time. None of them had anaphylaxis. None required any medical treatment, uh, but it was more out of precaution. And we are having everyone stay for 15 minutes after they receive the shot to just be in observation and make sure that they're doing well. And it's during that observation that a few people did have some symptoms, but fortunately, uh, none that required any kind of treatment. Um, i I always get a little soreness in the shoulder uh, every year for my flu shot and tetanus boosters and things like that. And this was probably a little bit more sore than usual, but not not terrible. And I felt a little bit tired the next day, uh, but I was still able to, to go through all my usual activities and routines. I didn't miss any work or anything like that. Um, so it's, you know, it, it does have some side effects. It does have some symptoms that you'll feel, uh, but it's good to know that we're now protected. And I guess, did you have any of that emotion run through you just to go, gosh, this is this is pretty monumental. This is the world in which I work, and I've been so Im involved in it uh, for so long. But did you pause and reflect what that meant? Yeah, and I, for me to have been able to receive it, um, you know, before the end of the year, because I, you know, looking back, I remember in February of last year, we were hearing about this, and really the speculation in February was still whether or not this would become widespread, whether or not um, we would see uh, a lot of it in the United States, or would it be similar to the first uh, SARS outbreak where it, it spread to a few places but got under control very quickly. And here, you know, 10 months later, um, was receiving a vaccine specific to this viral infection. And, and not only that, but coronavirus infections, you know, the non-COVID uh, regular circulating coronaviruses that cause the common cold. There's four different serotypes of that that we see on a fairly regular basis. We've never had a vaccine that worked for those. So I, I didn't even know if it was possible for there to be an effective vaccine for coronavirus infections. Um, and then here we are before the end of the year with an effective vaccine. It really is historic. 
visiting with Dr. Brian York. We have just a few minutes left with him, but we have to take a break uh, before we do. Back with our remaining minutes of Cadillac on Call right after this. You're listening to Cadillac on Call on 610 KONA. This program is not a substitute for direct consultation with your own health care provider. Always consult your health care provider for your specific condition, especially if you have or suspect you may have a medical problem. Now back to Cadillac on Call. Here again, Jim Hall. Cadillac on Call is made possible through the support of the Cadillac Foundation. The foundation supports a wide array of initiatives at Cadillac Regional Medical Center and Cadillac Clinic throughout the year. If you'd like to join the team and support Cadillac Foundation, visit cadillac.org slash foundation. Just a couple of minutes left with Dr. Brian York, an infectious disease specialist with Cadillac, and we've been talking about the vaccines that are slowly beginning to work their way uh, through the Tri-Cities area and around the country, and most importantly, uh, maybe start turning the tide against this pandemic. And Dr. York, before we let you go, maybe just give us a perspective. You touched briefly on some of the treatments uh, that patients have been receiving over the course of the pandemic the last 11 or 12 months. Where are we with things like that? Are we seeing, I, I know over the course of last uh, summer and fall, uh, we were seeing success where while patients, the the number of hospitalized patients has, has risen and fallen over time, uh, we were seeing better progress on those that were required serious treatment. What we have seen is that the treatments we have available, uh, convalescent plasma, uh, remdesivir, uh, both do have some benefit when they're started early in the course of illness. But unfortunately, neither of them make a big difference if someone already has significant um, pneumonia with with respiratory failure and needing ventilatory support. So uh, the key is to get those treatments started early, which which our uh, internists are doing. and we do see them help in some situations. So we, we've seen a lower percentage of our patients requiring a trip to the ICU uh, and, and going on the ventilator. But what's really made the biggest difference has been anti-inflammatory treatments like steroids. And uh, we're, we're trying to use those uniformly unless there's a strong reason that they cannot be used. And so we've, we have seen more success with that. We have seen uh, patients recovering at a better rate than we did early in the course of the illness. But there are still, the reality is there are still cases where you, you use all of those treatments and you, you try all of that and you still don't see uh, a recovery. And we're also seeing as, as time has gone on and we've had patients recovering and surviving COVID-19 who had severe illness, there are some cases where uh, respiratory symptoms persist in what we call a post-COVID respiratory syndrome and that's being looked at and talked about more in the medical literature with studies and research being done to find the best ways uh, to help those patients improve. So it seems with every, with every step forward, there are other challenges that are presented. So really the, the best approach still is to avoid COVID in the first place. And, and I think the vaccines are really going to make a difference in that way as we're able to get them rolled out. Uh, but in the meantime, we really want to still encourage people to um, pay attention to hygiene and social distancing and mask use and uh, following all of the recommendations of our, our public health experts. Is that what's made this so challenging? Is, as you mentioned, you're seeing, I guess, history unfold 
as it's happening. And but but now there's been nine, ten, eleven months of this. So some of these people, what you're saying is that may have gotten COVID back in March, April, or May, are still seeing the lingering effects. But then yet others are fine. So it's just kind of a, a wide ranging spectrum. Right, and, and most people who have mild symptoms recover completely, uh, and, and I would say even the majority of patients who have severe COVID, uh, when they overcome it, they over time they they get back to feeling as well as they did before their illness. But there is a small subgroup of patients that have um, scarring in the lungs that continues to cause difficulty breathing, usually in the cases that were were more severe, and and oftentimes those are cases uh, that early in the course of the pandemic may not have survived, but uh, we're seeing more of those folks that do survive. And time will tell whether that scarring goes away over time and whether that condition improves over time. Well, if you would, and you've kind of already touched on the importance of these public measures, uh, public health measures that we should all need to continue to, but we're sitting, we're still in the, the height of the winter. I know the hospitals are very busy, COVID and otherwise, so there's not a lot of room at the end, but maybe just a concluding remark from your view uh, where we sit in the Tri-Cities area uh, relative to COVID-19 going forward. Well, if you look, um, if you look at the incidence of cases, we, we actually peaked before Thanksgiving in, in mid-November, and we, we were coming down and then did have another wave that followed Thanksgiving. Unfortunately, we got back up to about the same level as, as the mid-November peak, but it has been trending downward again. Um, there was a lot of focus leading into the holidays about trying to avoid large gatherings and family gatherings, and I, I think people saw what happened after Thanksgiving, and my hope is uh, people heeded that advice because so far, knock on wood, we've not seen a recurring spike following Christmas, which was you know twelve about twelve days ago now, and we're about five days out from New Year's. And so, I, I think I'll feel a lot more comfortable if another week or two goes by and we don't see an increase. But we've seen the number of patients in the hospital with COVID-19 uh, trending downward over the past week or two. So the, the, the overall census of patients who have COVID has eased a little bit. So hopefully that trend will continue. Well, thank you for again for taking time out of your busy schedule, Dr. Brian York, an infectious disease physician at Cadillac. And again, if you'd like more information relative to COVID-19 and especially on how that vaccine rollout will be happening, visit the State Department of Health's website at doh.wa.gov or the Benton Franklin Health District at bfhd.wa.gov. Our thanks to Dr. York, to Heather Hill from the Benton Franklin Health District, and to you for listening to Cadillac on Call. We'll talk again next week. Yeah.